You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. No matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And I'll be honest that when J.J. Hughes and I, editor of St. Mary's Musings, originally set this recording or this episode up, we realized we would be talking after the Liverpool match. We realized that we may not have a whole lot of positives to talk about. And whether uh, that was just a self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever, um, it, it's going to come off that way. Did any of us really expect a result away at Liverpool? Uh, probably not realistically. Did we expect to play better than that, put in a better performance? Absolutely. Uh, was I frustrated afterwards? Yeah. Um, we talk about that with JJ a, a ton. We'll talk about MMA. We'll talk about some other stuff. Um, but we talked for about two and a half hours. Um, not all of it was recorded. Um, what was recorded, you get about a little over an hour of it. Uh, so we'll try to keep this brief. But one thing that we didn't talk about was the handing down. Uh, we talked about it actually just not while we were recording. Was the handing down of the suspension for three years for the person who abused Ryan Bertrand. Um, I had a much longer kind of intro where I went into that in detail, but I think it it's enough to say that's unacceptable. I don't think very many of the listeners of this show um, appreciate that, uh, appreciate uh, the, or, or stand for the kind of person who would do that. Um, but make sure to check out, um, kick it out and the apps they have to make reporting that type of, type of stuff easier so that more people who do that uh, can be removed because I, for one, would like to show uh, that that is not something that is is acceptable. And it's a, it's a tough thing to do. It's a, uh, you know, I understand kind of wanting to get on the player sometimes about, about certain things, but um, I guess there's a right way to do it. Um, and you can do it. You can criticize play, you can criticize every, you can criticize them without bringing in their race or sexism or anything else like that. Um, so kudos to whoever turned, turned uh, that person in. Um, and, and I hope that person learns his lesson. And, you know, part of me wants to say that if, if you are, uh, upset that that person was banned that I don't want you to listen to this and you can just unsubscribe. But really what I want you to do is, is contact me, send me a DM, send me an email. Let's have a conversation because I think that is the way things will change. Um, okay. The other thing we have to take care of before we get to my conversation uh, with JJ Hughes is last week we had an author, we had Richard Walters on the show. He has a new book called being a saint. And uh, we felt some of that pain this week. Uh, but we gave away a copy of the book. All you had to do was retweet the tweet that was pinned on my page and give Richard a follow on Twitter. Uh, and a number of people did that. And the winner of that book is Richard Brereton. So Richard, uh, send me a DM with your address. We will get the book shipped out to you. Um, I have been constantly checking 
my mailbox waiting for my copy. It's not here yet, but I am looking forward to it. Uh, so Richard, uh, send me a DM. We'll get it out to you. Uh, and that pretty much is it. So um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll be back uh, after this is over to wrap it up. Uh, but here we go. Thanks for listening. We'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, J.J. Hughes. You can find him on Twitter at J.J. Hughes underscore. He is, uh, you know, the owner or the administrator or the admin over uh, St. Mary's Musings. Uh, you can find them online um, at St. Mary's Musings on Twitter. Um, welcome back. I mean, we've been chatting now for we've had a, a, a we've had a really good last hour, I think. Um, well, unfortunately, it's, not, it's been 90 minutes. <laughs> has it? I apologize for that to everybody <laughs> involved in your life and mine. Um, but this is uh it has been an hour and a half. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, none of that was about Southampton, which is even better. So, um, yeah, but we're here. Uh, obviously this is the day after, uh, the three nil defeat to Liverpool. Um, but I guess just kind of briefly before we have to talk about that, let's, let's talk a bit more uh, about you and, and the site, because that's, it always seems to be the best way to get things kind of going. Um, but what's new going on with you? I know you, you, if anybody has listened to this before, they know that you will have, or they will have known that you write about, about MMA and everything else. But uh, what, what else is going on in, in that realm of the world? Uh, first of all, great to be back. Um, I really enjoyed being on last time. I believe last time I was on was after we'd lost against Burnley. So mm-hmm. I don't want it to become a recurring theme that I only appear after a loss. But I guess against Liverpool, that was a bit of a given when we organized this before. Um so yeah, I'm still writing about MMA. Um, an interesting time uh, with MMA. Conor McGregor's coming back. Um, he just had quite a, a controversial press conference with his um, near future opponent, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um, you know, he went from promoting his new whiskey, which if anyone follows Conor McGregor online, you, you probably would have heard about that by now. Um, he went from uh, whiskey promoting to accusing Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's from Dagestan, uh, accusing him of cozying up to Chechen dictators, taking money from uh, corrupt Russian uh, billionaires, uh, to disrespecting Vladimir Putin. Um, yeah, all spiced in with a sort of near hour long whiskey commercial it was uh it was interesting and there, and there was no fans present at the press conference either which made it all a bit more awkward yeah uh, if there's one thing that conor Gregor is he's he's good at promoting like he the num- <laughs> the, the 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 number of people that will tune in to watch him talk about that is is insane and uh i think if any of us would have gone and done the uh kind of tirade that he went on when he was throwing chairs and, and everything else like you know, one, all of those guys would have, would have beat the crap out of us, but two, um, <laughs> you know, we, we'd never be heard from again. And he somehow has made that, uh, you know, well, I'm back and, and here comes the UFC and everybody else to kind of, I don't know, be right alongside him, I guess it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, he's, he probably recognizes this as well, but he's, but Conor McGregor is very much in the position where the UFC needs him. Um, they don't really have any other superstars. They did have Ronda Rousey. Um, until she got found out and then quickly left mm-hmm. uh, for WWE. Um, so yeah, McGregor's really the the major draw. You have a few other fighters, John Jones, who um, recently um, 
well, he's serving a drug suspension, so obviously he's not the best fighter to, to promote. Um, yeah, well, there's yeah. Basically, McGregor just found himself in a spot which I think is fully earned by him. Um, but he's he kind of calls the shots as much as a fighter can in an organization like the UFC. Um, so they fight on October sixth. Um, with me, I'm now the freelance digital editor for Fighters Only magazine. Um, so I've been covering events for uh, UFC events. So I'll be going to KSW, which is a Polish um, promotion. They've got a show um, at Wembley Arena coming up in October as well. Okay. So yeah, very busy with that. And also um, you know, working for St. Mary's Musings as well, trying to keep up with all the other websites who... Uh, have a lot more time on their hands than I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, can can I ask you a little bit about the the MMA stuff? Because I now I'm I'm, I, I'm I'm I cannot watch people fight. It, it, it like turns my stomach. <laughs> but there is a I have friends who have done MMA and and uh, uh, Chuck Liddell, a uh, UFC kind of legend from from uh, yes earlyish lives uh, twenty minutes from me. I, we're not friends, but I, we see him. <laughs> if we if you go out in in town, you can run into him from time to time. It's kind of fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, the pit, which is, uh, one of the, the gym that he trained at, that is, yep. uh, you, you can drive by it, you can see it, you can take classes from it. Um, and they, Hackleman. yeah, yeah. I mean, the yeah. dude, the dude is a legend. And, um, <laughs> if you, uh, I have a, a couple of friends who have done the training and, and gotten to the point where you get to go to his house on a, on a Sunday morning and train. And that's like the, the ultimate, uh, kind of call is if you get to go to his house and do all the, the stuff that Chuck did before he made it big. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's interesting, but, um, yeah, I mean, do you, do you find it easier to write about the MMA if you're, if you're at home versus where you have the replays and you have all that stuff or is, is it, is it more difficult to kind of go there and, and watch the action live and try to encapsulate that or capture that, I guess. Uh, it's a tough one. They both have their, um, their sort of upsides and downsides, I guess. Um, what I will say, now that you mentioned Chuck Liddell, I don't know if you've heard, he's due to fight Tito Ortiz for the third time. Um, I think he's nearing 50 now, if he's not already turned <coughs> already turned 50. Sorry. Um, and, I mean, he's been retired for, you know, maybe up to eight years. Yeah. Um, and he's, yeah, I, 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 I respect that people need to earn money. Um but this is being promoted by Golden Boy Promotions with uh, Oscar De La Hoya. So it's, I mean, Tito Ortiz hasn't retired. He's been continually training, continually fighting. Um, and now he's facing Chuck Liddell, who's been out of the game for a while and didn't look very good um, upon his retirement. Um, so, yeah, I kind, of, I kind of feel a little uneasy about that. Um, but, yeah, uh, so watching fights at home versus live, um, at home's good, as you say. That there are, um, you know, you, you do get replays, you do get commentary. Um, if you're sat cage side, sometimes you can miss certain things. You know, if there's um, anything from an accidental eye poke, um, you don't know whether the fighter was actually poked in the eye, so that's why the action stopped. Um, from <laughs> an accidental groin kick, you don't know if it actually landed um, where it shouldn't have. Um, 
you know, there's loads of stuff that are picked up by commentary, and they've obviously got a production team in their area at all, at all times, and they get replays and things like that. And in the arena, you do get the live broadcast on screens as well. Okay. So you do get replays, but um, sometimes it's, you know, without context, you don't really know what you're looking at. What I will say, um, reporting uh, ringside or cage side, one of the benefits is there's no distractions whatsoever. So um, with me, I, I have a mate who's also into MMA. Uh, well, I've kind of got him into it. And for the big fights, he'll want to you know come around mine and watch it with me. But I'm working, and obviously he's you know having fun watching it. Right. Um, so there's no distractions if you're actually cage side. Um, and when I have been cage side as well, the, the, the sort of fellow journalists there. There's quite a good camaraderie where everyone tries to help each other. So, you know, if there's um, if you don't know the time of the finish of a fight or some or the scorecards, you know, everyone's generally quite helpful to you know help you out with that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, another thing I would think is is sitting there at the angle you're at. You know, um, if you are at a bad angle for something, you may not get to see the the you know the 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 series of of moves that went into it just because your your angle simply blocked by the referee or or yeah. uh, somebody else. And so that, that's something that went jump into my mind, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's very true. And I, I should have mentioned that. So you can even have, um, so if you ever watch a UFC fight, you'll, you'll notice you'll have, um, the cameramen are all standing up on stools and so the cameras are pointed over the, the cage fence. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually they're stationary, but if there's some action that's, you know, you know, fast, fast moving or on the ground, the cameraman and then get down and uh, pretty much block the, the entire view of uh, press row. Um, and also there's the fact that if, you know, for instance, if a fighter gets taken down on the other side of the cage, so press row, you're in reality, all you can really see is um, two guys or girls just lying on top of each other. You don't really know what's like the intricacies of what's actually happening. Right. Cause the cage is raised a bit, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that would totally cut your angle off, man. That, um, I, I, I guess the same thing goes for football. You know, uh, sometimes you, yeah. you're in some of these places, and uh, uh, if you if you're in some of these older places, sometimes you have an obstructed view. Um, I, I've heard other people talk yeah, about it. So, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't tend to get that at home. Uh, you get distractions, uh, children, um, loved ones, dogs, um, <laughs> whatever. But. Uh, you know, yesterday during the Liverpool match, I was able to uh, to take care of two loads of laundry. So uh, that that was uh, the most exciting thing that happened to me during the game. So I guess <laughs> uh, it was that good a game. So at least you, at least you made use of your time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as you can tell from the notes, I I stopped caring or not stopped caring, but I stopped <laughs> writing because I was just like I didn't I didn't know what to put down anymore. Um, and I and I did mention uh, last week that I had kind of not talked about the Brighton game because I was hoping to be able to talk about a win with you. And, and, you know, you mentioned that you were, you know, you've only been on after losses that goes for all, but like, you know, three people over the past year. (laughs) So don't, don't feel bad. You know, are we okay talking about the Brighton game? Just, just briefly, we don't have to go into detail, but um, just, just kind of big picture. Like that's 13 points dropped from winning positions. That's a two goal lead that we let slip at home again against a team that we, we should beat, you know? Um, but I don't know kind of what you made of that result or, or it, it, for me, just looking ahead, 
you know, we had Liverpool, we have Wolves, we have Chelsea. Like these are not great matches for us to go in and, and try to, to take points from before we head into another international break where, you know, we could theoretically be on five points by that point. Yeah. And it honestly wouldn't surprise me if we were still, um, uh, Brighton, I mean, yeah, Brighton at home. I mean, our home form has been terrible for a long time now. Um, Brighton at home, 2-0 up. Realistically, if we, if Southampton want to have a season where, I mean, I don't think any Southampton fans at this stage are expecting um, a whole lot. Um, but Brighton are going to be one of the teams that are around the bottom of the league, which obviously is an, an area we want to avoid. Um, to let in two goals, um, both were sloppy for different reasons with Shane Duffy's free header, the penalty, um, which Glenn Murray put away, came from a really stupid foul in the last minute. There's been a lot made of Southampton's mentality issues. Um, and I think as a squad, um, they've been guilty of um, not necessarily being the most mentally strong or resilient um, like they were in the past. But I also feel, I mean, I've I've long been banging on about how I don't think the Southampton squad is anywhere near uh, the same sort of caliber they, it was years gone by. Um, and I feel like that, that kind of feeds into the mentality issues as well. I mean, if, for instance, Ryan Bertrand played since when Koeman first took over and, you know, the first three seasons he had at Southampton, he had, well, he enjoyed three top eight finishes. Um, now, since then, results have slid, league positions have got worse. Um, and, you know, he might not have the confidence in, in his teammates that he would have had with um, the previous squads he was part of. I feel like that kind of, it's a, it all seems quite like a negative atmosphere across the club. And I feel like if Southampton opposed of any pressure from the opposition, I mean, there, there aren't many in the stadium that you know, has a whole load of confidence that Southampton can stand firm. And I think that that includes the squad. I don't think they're confident in their ability to withstand heavy pressure and keep hold of a lead. That's why it was so amazing to see Saints beat Crystal Palace because at 1-0 Southampton were under loads of pressure uh-huh. um, could have only left Selhurst Park with just a point but went down the other end and got a second goal you know, I can't remember the last time that happened where we sort of rounded off a win in that kind of fashion um, so yeah I, I, it, the Brighton game is symbolic for so many reasons and I think it's that's the kind of game. It's not only the two points uh, we lost, but also the the knock in our confidence after you know a two game winning run. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that could have been quite um, damaging to our team. Yeah, I mean, and just I guess going back to Crystal Palace, and it people try to you can you can only see it like kind of one of two ways. Either either we just held on, and we you know we really should have been beaten if they would have had Zaha or if Benteke would have been on form or whatever versus you know we kind of did what we had to do and i think it's kind of a combination of both like there is an element of luck that goes along with it um but it was nice to see us you know with enough confidence for 
I, I think it was Hoot to play that ball to Target and Target to just play a, a really nice ball uh, for for Hoiberg to be able to do it. And then Hoiberg did enough to you know score the goal. And that I think that left us with a bunch of confidence. I think it was a uh, an emphatic kind of uh, ending to the game because it it felt a little bit like we didn't just kind of squeak by or hang on. Like we really did did beat them, which was was I think deserved for for large portions of that game. Then you have the international break. Some guys go away and don't play. Some guys don't go away at all. Um, you know, it, it seems like Bertrand was pretty. Uh, he's got to be upset with him with not being selected. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't really know what to say. And then and then we come back and and we do what we did against Brighton. It just it is it is as frustrating as possible. You know, um, because I, I I think that it 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 any any confidence that was there. I think. It probably has to be gone a little bit just because we can, yeah. we've, we've done this so many times now that, that you can't, you, you, even as, as positive as I try to be, you, you can't always do it. It, it. At some point, and for me, it was yesterday and in, in a game where I think if we, if we win at Brighton and then we go lose the same exact same way against Liverpool, I don't think I, I feel the same way I do right now because I've, it, you, I don't know. I don't want to say you expect to lose against Liverpool, but you, you, you don't, they're undefeated, you know? They have more yeah. wins than we have points, and I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, it, I mean, even so, to lose late to a big team is tough. I remember even Man City away last season; we were only going to nick a point, but Raheem Sterling scored, you know, seven minutes into injury time, whatever it was, and it was like it was absolutely gutting. So to lose a game in that particular fashion is horrible, and and. The thing is, we didn't actually lose against Brighton, but you'll find everyone talks about the Brighton game as if we did lose because it was such a wasted opportunity. We got a point, but we lost two points. Um, and just the manner of how it all went down was horrible. Whereas Liverpool, I, I think especially given after what happened Monday and uh, Liverpool's form in the league so far, and it's a bit of a free hit. If you can get something at, at Anfield, great. But, you know, was, is it realistic? Probably not. Um, my understanding, I wasn't at Anfield yesterday, but my understanding was we, you know, as soon as we conceded the first goal, and, you know, we didn't really offer anything. We had one shot on target all game. Um, and, you know, I think we we were set up in a way to go to Anfield to try and frustrate Liverpool and, maybe just nick a point and settle for that, you know, but then if you concede an early goal, those plans are, you know, useless now because we're not going to score. Um, and all three goals were just like calamitous in each way. The, the own goal to begin with, and then all the goals following are just scrappy. Um, and Liverpool do look a lot more, solid and can win games that they don't necessarily dominate now, which, um, you know, before if they didn't totally dictate the game, they could slip up. Um, whereas yesterday, I mean, I think they just bossed the game and didn't really have to exert any energy. Um, and saints offered barely anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess looking at yesterday, just looking at the, uh, kind of the team news and, and the lineup that we put out, uh, of course, Ings is out, due to uh, not being able to play because he's on loan from, from Liverpool. I guess that's the one kind of big consequence, at least on the surface of, of him not being ours this year, you know? Um, yeah. 
is he going to win us that game yesterday? Like, I, I don't think so. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure there are other financial reasons or whatever that are behind the scenes that, that we don't understand or don't know that may or may or may not become apparent later. But, um, you know, Gabby Dini comes up with an injury. Uh, El Nusi comes up with an injury. Um, that leaves us Charlie Austin and, and Shane Long. And then you think, well, one, we know that Austin struggles to play a full 90 minutes. So you, yeah. you don't expect him to, to, to play a four, four, two, um, unless maybe you, you sacrifice one of the two strikers and play Armstrong maybe, or something like that behind him. Uh, maybe something like that. But, and again, long doesn't necessarily play a full 90 minutes very often either. Just, I think, cause of the, the type of game that he, he plays where he runs, uh, kind of as much as he does and, and whatever. But, um, I don't know, like looking at that lineup, uh, the one kind of surprise was, was to see target kind of essentially playing left wing. Um, but I, I wasn't really surprised with, with any of the rest of it. It seemed like it was, that's the way it was going to go. And you hope you're going to w- hit him on the break. So you have Redmond and long up there to run. And that, that all seems to make sense to me, but I don't know how you, how you saw it or how you felt about it. Uh, well, as you mentioned, we were kind of, um, pardon the pun, hamstrung, um, <laughs> with our selection options just because of Gabby Dini getting injured, Ings not being available, Elianusi out as well. Um, really, I mean, again, like realistically, away at Liverpool, especially the way they're playing, and we, and we did this before, even when we were outperforming Liverpool in the league for that one season, which everyone seems to hang on to. Um, you know, we'd go to Liverpool to set up to play on the counter because, you know... Managers need to be pragmatic to a certain degree. Um, I think maybe Mark Hughes can lean towards pragmatism a little too far at times. But yeah, I, I saw I saw the lineup yesterday, and I mean I I got it. I understood why why he picked the team he did. I liked seeing Target, um, you know, start. Uh, I don't know how effective he really was out on the wing, but yeah, I mean. The way uh, I think, especially after Monday as well, I mean, we'd be silly not to try and set up to try and frustrate Liverpool and then maybe we can nick something out of the game. Um, obviously, it didn't work out for us. Um, it's just one of them games. Um, it'd be wrong to dwell on it too much. I, I think Brighton is the game which probably deserves a little more attention um, just for being a bit, bit more concerning. Whereas um, Liverpool... Um, you know, again, who, who expects us to get anything from Liverpool realistically? And technically, we drew the second half, so positive. <laughs> <laughs> and not I, serious, by the way. No, um, I, I guess one of the the things that you think about is, yeah, you kind of do your expectations maybe are lowered going in going away to Anfield, um, but I just think it was kind of the game plan fell apart so early on through the own goal. Um, and then, and then I guess it's the things, the way the other two goals are conceded. Um, it's, it's the fact that we somehow don't mark their center back in the box. We give him a free header. Um, it looks like Vestergaard is kind of, it doesn't have a man and he's just supposed to head the ball away. He doesn't get there. And it, it, I don't, you know, maybe it's a mistake and it happens every once in a while, but it seems to be something that we struggle with um, over and over again. Um, leaving, you know, you think back to last year, Glenn Murray uh, being open. Uh, you think about all of these 
the center forwards that get posted up on Cedric um, at the back post or whatever. And and somehow now we managed to leave another center back uh, kind of unattended. And then, and then the, the, for the third goal, it's just, once again, we don't react to, to a ball that uh, is, is loose. And whether it's McCarthy or Forrester making a save and, and Forrester uh, a lot of times was guilty of pushing it back into a dangerous area. Uh, but we weren't there to clear it this time. It kind of comes off the underside of the bar. Um, and we're not there, you know, Salah gets in and scores. Um, and it's just those, those types of mistakes, those types of things seem to be recurring. Um, and I don't know, like maybe, maybe if, if those don't happen, if we get and clear that ball, if, if we mark him and just head the ball away, like if the guy hits a screamer from, from 35 yards out, uh, off the, off of the, the clearing header, so be it, you know, that, that's a, that's, that's what it is. That's a once, uh, in a while kind of once in a hundred type shot. Um, and I don't think I'm nearly as upset as I am because of the, uh, I guess the manner that we can see the goals and the manner that we kind of played the second half where we didn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's an interesting point because since, since Pochettino was in charge at Southampton, um, our, our team, yes, we, we went through spells and seasons when we played nice football, but that was always built on the back of having really solid defense and the Pochettino, we, Defended all over the park, um, playing sort of a pressing style of football you see now at Spurs, and a more extreme version of that at Liverpool. Koeman, um, it didn't really press a whole lot, but we were defensively solid and and played a more direct style of attacking football. Uh, Puel, yes, we wasn't we weren't the most entertaining, but again, defensively solid. And then, and even when uh, Van Dyke got injured for the second half of Pearl's uh, season, um, with uh, Jack Stevens coming in, we still looked pretty solid. Um, and then Pearl left. Pellegrino, a defensively minded manager, um, defense seemed to totally disintegrate with him in charge. Um, obviously, the, well, from what we hear, there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes with Van Dyke. Um, we sold him in January. I think you can make an argument that the uh, that Wesley Hoot hasn't exactly worked out as a Southampton centre back. I think I've seen a few people doubt the abilities of Vestergaard already. Although I'd like to preserve judgment on that. Um, yeah, I just think Bertrand is a solid left back. Cedric can be found wanting at times. Um, Vestergaard, I'm still. You know, get to decide on what I feel about him. Hoots, very inconsistent. And then I also think in midfield, we're, in centre midfield anyway, we're, we're pretty weak. Unless, um, I think the combination of Hoiberg and uh, Lamina is a solid pairing in the middle. But then I think that's still a midfield that is capable of being overrun, um, depending on the opposition. Um Yesterday, I mean, Liverpool's midfield's just way too strong uh, for us. Their attacks are always going to have our defence on the back foot, even if we're set up to play play deep. But I think there's there's been a lot of evidence to say that our, our defence looks considerably um, more timid. We're not exactly an aggressive side either, so we're not exactly striking fear into our opponents at the minute. Um, so yeah, I, I think that whole sort of defensive um, foundation we've long had has has disappeared now, and that is coupled with the fact that we struggled to score. Um, 
that's not a good combination for anything. No, no. Um, and, and like you said, the, going back, even you know, you look at the defensive partnerships we've had uh, at center back for the last number of years since I guess since we've been back in the Premier League, and they're pretty strong, you know. Um, and then you get to the point where now it's like, yeah, no, no, we just don't look that way. We don't, we don't look strong. We don't look. Yeah, we just, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't fill you with a bunch, of, a bunch of confidence. Um, and as you kind of go forward, like, like you said, the uh, Lamina Hoiberg partnership can get uh, found out a little bit. Um, yep. Yesterday, we put the, the the third midfielder in there to try to try to help them out, and um, you know, it just, it just wasn't it wasn't quite enough. We just didn't, we didn't have it. And I don't know, a full strength team where we set up and have this kind of resolute kind of game plan where we're going to press, uh, we're going to, to apply pressure. We're going to, we're going to work as a team. Um, you know, we're going to try to, to nick a goal or we're going to try to get a draw that, you know, it almost came off last year against man city. Um, but it doesn't even look like our team this year can do that that didn't look the team that was out there yesterday could have done that that didn't look no. the same sort of same sort of commitment maybe uh was there which i i mean as a guy's watching from from the united states i i didn't i didn't make the trip to anfield obviously but like it it is it is disappointing to to see and it's 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 pretty clear to see and that uh for me frustrates me maybe more than just about anything yeah no i think even even if you do want to play a counter attacking style you still need one creative outlet as well to try and unlock, you know, just to be the person to deliver that ball over the top for someone like Shane Long to chase. But in reality, yesterday all we had, we had, uh, what, how many? We had seven men behind the ball and Target, Redmond and Long trying to create something. I mean, how many times have Target, Redmond and Long played together? Probably not a whole lot especially not starting a game. Um, and I think Target's main inclusion was to help, um, probably help defend the wings anyway. So, yeah, I mean, there's only, to to win that kind of game, counter-attacking, just relying on someone like Shane Long, who, well, he's got two goals, and I think I saw two goals in the last 52 games or, or something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. Um He's, you know, you're going to need an element of luck. Um, the quality is not necessarily going to be there. Um, we we concede an early goal, and then those any plans we did have of, um, you know, stealing some some points from Anfield, it just totally totally went by the wayside. So as soon as we can see that open that first goal, and then we have to open up and try and play football to get something from the game, which I don't think we even did. Um, because by the time it's half time, we were three 0 down and you know dead and buried. Yeah, parts of that after the uh, the opening goal, like there were a couple instances where we pressed and you know forced the ball out for a goal kick or forced it out for a throw, kind of deep in their territory and things like that. And that was that was good to see. But yeah, that was that was the odd here and there. It happened. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the full. I don't know, it wasn't consistent for the entire game. And But do you know what the issue was? They they didn't have the ball in that area for long enough for us to do it on multiple occasions. Right. We, we, it happened a few times. But you know, that's that's only effective if you know, as you said, we forced the goal kick, we forced throw ins. 
you know, if if we had more opportunities to do that, then you know we may have forced an error which led to a shot and goal or or maybe a goal in itself. Um, you know, just to have sort of three, four examples of us doing that suggests that Liverpool didn't really have the ball in those sort of dangerous areas for us to try and exploit much to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, mo- most of the possession was going to be um, unfortunately uh, in the final th- in our in our third, I guess. Um, and, and then looking to, uh, you know, us making, I don't want to say last ditch tackles, but us, us poking the ball away at the last second or, or something like that. And then kind of resetting and and doing it again. And, uh, I think that, I'm, I think that's a fair, fairly, uh, a fair summary of the game, I think, because it, uh, it seems like all my notes here just have, um, you know, Liverpool making lots and lots of nice little intricate passes and us poking (laughs) it away and then, and then us doing it again. And, uh, you know, uh, I, one highlight I should, I should point out is Romeo seemed to just at some point go like, I'm going to tackle everyone. Uh, he took Cedric out. He took out, uh, I want to say it was Shakiri maybe, um, it, and all of it I enjoyed because, uh, you knew the yellow card was coming and, um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen him booked for tackling his own player. I think that would have been great. I don't know if that's, a, I don't know if that's allowed, but, um, I'm not sure either. Actually, <laughs> I think you can get sent off for fighting your own player, right? But I don't yes, know. If yeah, that, that's definitely a fact. Slide, um, slide tackling your own fun. player because um, he went through like two or three people on one tackle that I was like, oh, that's that's it made me smile. You know, I had to I had to refold that blanket that I was working on them because I was uh, I cheered maybe. Um, <laughs> but well, uh, at least at least Romeo did provide some entertainment. But um, what you're saying there, you know, Liverpool. Loads of nice attacking play. We, I mean, defend made a few last ditch attempts to you know, poke the ball away, block shots, um, last ditch tackles. It, the second half to me just looked like a, a damage limitation exercise, which maybe is what was appropriate if we're not going to get any result from the game. Um, we're now minus three goal difference at the minute. Um, which is as a result of that 3-0 loss. So, you know, we would have slipped down another position if we let in another two. So maybe um, maybe it was the wise decision after a bit of a shocking first half. I don't know. I mean, the second half was pretty dire, you know. It was pretty, or dour, I guess. Both, both will do. <laughs> you can even see with Liverpool, they just, they weren't um, exactly exerting themselves a whole load. Um, I think they need to have the three points wrapped up with games starting to pile up as well now that they're in the Champions League season's now started and everything else I mean you can't really blame them for taking their foot off the gas in the second half and we were more than happy to let them you know do their thing and not threaten our goal with as much sort of conviction as as in the first half Um, I think even the fact that you know Shaqiri started for Liverpool yesterday was an indication that I think Liverpool knew we were there for the taking. Um, unfortunately for them, they uh, you know got three three goals fairly quickly, and um, yeah, took their foot off the gas second half because they knew they could. Yeah, it's almost like they just gave Shakiri. They just said, "Do whatever you want." You know, but you have <laughs> yeah. zero defensive responsibility because we won't be playing very much, um, and and that'll be it. And, and I'm not sure if it if it worked. It looked like a, a couple times where. You know, there was one too many people around the area to, wanting wanting the ball and wanting the pass. Where I'm sure if they work on that a little bit more, they'll they'll figure that out. But um, I, I guess 
I mean, in some ways, the good news is we didn't just get completely sliced open uh, a ton of times, you know, at least that led to a goal. But um, I, I would have much preferred that because that's the talent that Liverpool have, you know, that they're going to do that to teams. They did it to PSG. They did it to um, teams last year in the Champions League. Like I'm they're going to do that. And that's that's I, I think at some point I can appreciate that as, as good football. Um, whereas what we saw yesterday maybe wasn't wasn't so much uh, great, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure what I'd rather to be honest because either way it's pretty humiliating seeing your defense torn to shreds through some nice um, attacking play, and it's also pretty humiliating seeing your team just you know defend you know it was just joke defending yesterday. Their goals were they none of them were particularly nice to look at. Um, you can point fingers at multiple errors made in the sequences leading up to them goals. Mm-hmm. Defenders switching off. Perhaps midfield not helping out enough. Um, poor marking. So yeah, I mean, even if they scored nice goals, it, it wouldn't be nice to witness, but um, at least I guess you could absolve defenders of you know some responsibility if, you know, they had an undefendable pass they had to face, whereas yesterday it was, um, yeah, uh, I'd say all three situations were more than avoidable where they scored, but um, unfortunately Liverpool were at the races and Saints most certainly weren't. Yeah, yeah. And yesterday during the game, I think it's harder to kind of just take a step back and look at it, I guess, in context where, you know, we we theoretically got the result we would have expected. Um, it just didn't happen in the manner that we would have wanted it to maybe. Um, but I don't know, like yesterday you look at some of the things that were on Twitter and I was even pretty dejected by the end of it, you know? Um, but, but some of the the people calling out players and, and, um, somebody sent me, I I retweeted a a poll in the middle of the show, um, or in the middle of the, uh, of the game. And, and had I thought about it a bit more, um, I was genuinely interested in the result, but had I thought about it a bit more, I probably would have waited till the end of the game. Uh, to retweet because somebody responded to me with the uh, you know basically why are you doing this right now and it's like look like <laughs> I I I've, I don't want to say I made a mistake but like I uh, you know at that point did I really want to watch the game like you know so like I'm looking for <laughs> looking for other things to do but yeah I mean I mean people are now again the questions are going to start coming in about Hughes and and we have some that people have asked us and um you know how many people uh, trust that he was doing the right job did we give him credit this year or do we allow him to stay around this year just because he kept us up last year and and I don't know if it's the appropriate time to to start doing that or if, if the you know this is the third manager who struggled with this type of thing now is it is it more than that is it the squad is it is it the whole setup of the of the organization or or is this what happens to teams like Southampton like uh Swansea who had a, a decent couple of years you know you you kind of build up to this this uh this is the model this is the model and and Saints were held up there and uh, I think everybody's going to jump on the Wolves bandwagon and, and the Watford bandwagon now. And um, can we just expect them to be back where we are in two or three years or four years? And, and is this just kind of normal, I guess? I, I think I just said a lot of stuff and I'm not sure any of it makes sense. <laughs> well, I think there are some parallels to Swansea to a degree. Um, I'd like to think those in charge at Southampton can look at Swansea and, and try to you know, avoid any of the uh, issues which sort of led to them getting relegated last season. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I said uh, in our last podcast as well, and I, 
I was um, I was a defender to a certain extent of uh, Claude Puel when it's, when he was in charge because I my fe- my feelings at the time were yes like okay we're not playing nice football but he's under the circumstances he was doing the best of the hand that he was dealt. Um, I feel like recruitment, the whole policy of you know buying players for you know I mean Vestergaard was signed for 18 million um, this summer, which that is not a small amount of money. But in comparison to some other teams in the Premier League, you can maybe argue now that we are we aren't sort of spending the money uh, we should, um, especially given that we fact uh, the especially given the fact we sold Van Dyke for 70. 70 odd million in January. Um, what I'll also say to that is, you know, the whole um, that whole ethos of you know buying players from abroad with the expectations that they're going to live up to previous squads where we were successful in that sort of transfer market strategy. I'd say that's unrealistic. There's no guarantees of any player, and I I just don't think the makeup of our squad is what we want or need at the minute. I, so there's a wider issue of, you know, what what is the Southampton style of football we're trying to achieve? Because Pochettino, well, under Nigel Adkins, we played nice football. I think Pochettino um, improved um, the way we played across the park. But then Koeman changed things, changed the ethos of not... Um, not playing as many of our academy players like Pochettino and Adkins did before him. Mm-hmm. And then once Kuman left off two seasons, you know, more players were leaving. Puel comes in, again, adopts a different style, I think, to try and make the most of the players he's got um, at his disposal. He goes after a season. Pellegrino comes in. Um, we didn't really lose um, many players uh, last season until January, but it was clear to see that Pellegrino wasn't up to the job, and maybe the squad wasn't either. And then we've had another summer where we haven't lost many players, but we've brought in four players, or four or five, um, and maybe apart from Ings, I don't think any of them have had a huge impact. I know we're only six games in. But like, I, I wouldn't say our style of football has changed you know, for the better. There's, I wouldn't say there's a whole load of positive signs to suggest you know, we're going to be well clear of a relegation battle like last season. Um, I'd, I'd like to think you know, we've dropped 13 points from winning positions um, since Hugh's been in charge. But that also means we have been you know, winning games and then, and then collapsing. So maybe that's a sign that if we can address our sort of mental fragility in, in defending a lead, maybe there's you know room for optimism to think uh, maybe we'll um, you know Saints will get overcome that problem and start picking up some results with regularity. Um, but all signs at the minute point to another at the very most a bit of a, a mediocre season. Um, at the very least, another relegation battle. I don't think we're going to be, you know, bottom of the league. I think Cardiff's got that position wrapped up, but you never know. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping we've got a bit of a tough run of games coming up. It'd be, it'd be nice if we can, you know, nick a result from one of them. But um, 
you know, on the evidence I've seen so far, there's nothing to suggest that we can and will do that. I mean, kind of on that note a little bit, we have a question from listener. We got a, a, quite a few questions, actually, which was, was kind of nice. It was a, an active day on, uh, on the social media channels. Um, one of the questions comes from Chris underscore graphics on Instagram, and he says, uh, are giving away leads just a symptom of poor confidence and resolvable, or are they deep-rooted problem in the structure of the team, such as poor organization, uh, defense, et cetera? Um, and, and I don't know, like you, you seem like, you know, you, you kind of mentioned there that we're, we're on the edge. We're, we're, we're close. We are winning games. We are close to to holding out on some of those. You think back to Everton, how much that hurt. You think back to you know, the, the Chelsea game last year and how much that just, that crushed me. That was the game where I officially kind of said, I think we're down and that's it. Um, me too. <laughs> and, and then, you know, you, you get games like Brighton where, you know, I don't know. Like last year was was rough in that. Uh, I, I specifically remember the Arsenal game early on in the in the season where it was kind of the same thing, um, almost a similar kind of uh, run uh, as a that Sterling shot. Just kind of that area. I think it was a cross though to Giroud, who then managed to do it again to us when he was playing for Chelsea. Um, yeah. This is this is all coming back to me, and I don't really want to talk about it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I don't know. Like you, you think we. I, I think sometimes we're too quick to think that bringing in a player will solve all of the issues. You know, we, we brought in a big guy, the investor guard, he's going to head the ball away. Obviously he misses a header yesterday um, and, and they score from it. And then, and then, you know, we're kind of back to, to square one, but um, I don't know, like, do, what do you think it takes to change this? Do you think that the, the players that we have are, are, are not good enough? Do you think that um, the way that they are being set up to defend isn't good enough or what, what kind of jumps out to you? Um, yeah, as I've said, I, I don't necessarily think our squad's as strong as years previous. Um, but then I think, I think, I mean, it, it's pretty evident that there's a confidence issue with our squad, which it, I guess is natural after a season like they had last season. Um, especially considering, you know, a fair few of the players still in the squad would have experienced, you know, good spells under Kuman where we were finishing sixth and seventh, and then under Prell we finished eighth. What I what I will say though, I think uh, in terms of organisation, I think Hughes is guilty of um, what Pellegrino often did if we ever took a lead on the Pellegrino, um, and you know seek to play deep to defend a lead, um, which I think is really counterintuitive considering how panicky we are in defence and under pressure. And I feel like once you set your team up to flat out defend a lead. And maybe they could go on the break like we did against Palace the other week, mm-hmm. um, which was, in reality, a bit of an anomaly because, you know, how often does that happen with Saints? Yeah, given our clear confidence issues, um, maybe it's not a good idea to, um, you know, invite so much pressure and almost ask for the other team to come out and attack us, which our team is, is not built for that these days. Right, right. Um, we have a couple of other questions. Do you want to you want to answer some of these before? Yeah, of course. We run out of time here. Okay, here's one from the Limehouse podcast. Um, he's at Limehouse Pod, um, and he said, "I said after our first match, and then again at full time against Brighton, that we're now in a relegation fight. Is that the correct reading of the situation? And also, are we making more mistakes than last season? And are uh, are we in a worse position uh, mentally? Uh, and is it set to get to get worse? And I think for me." I think that we are 
are uber critical right now of everything that the team does. Um, yeah, it, 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 and, and I think we have the right to be based on how last year went. So I, I'm not trying to, to blame anybody for it, but I think that, that we are so kind of ingrained to pick apart everything that the team does. That as soon as something doesn't come off, it doesn't matter what the intention was or, 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 or anything else. It's that this is, this is somehow somebody's fault and somebody has to be blamed for it. And, and almost to the point where we take it too far. I think I read something this morning that um, Wesley Hoot has, has gotten kind of gotten rid of some of his uh, social media posts and, and things like that. And if that's true, um, I mean, th- that goal is not his fault. You know, th- does he make mistakes? Sure. Um, but, but that initial own goal that goes against him, um, first of all, we, we lost the ball in the edge of the area. Second of all, we didn't close down the cross. Third of all, Long is somehow standing as deep as any of our defenders, which is awkward when he's the only striker we have on the field. Um, and then, and the ball takes ricochets and hits him in the chest and it goes in like, I don't know, like it, it, it upsets me that, that we, we can get kind of so upset at one person, um, because they made a mistake and, and I don't know, I don't know if I, I, I could be completely misreading the situation or anything else, but like, I don't know. I, I mentally sure we're weak. Um, it's, there's gotta be some confidence issues and, and there's only so many times you can tell yourself like, yes, we can, we can do better. Or yes, we're, we're going to do it this time and then to have it not happen. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to fix that. I mean, I mean, people go to counseling for a long time for, uh, you know, confidence issues and stuff a lot. And, and I have people in my life who have no confidence and I struggle with confidence and it's just kind of one of those things. And I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have an answer for how to, how to get that back or how to, how to make that better. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, quite a lot to unpack there. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I don't know, that's good. Um, but I, I, I totally agree with you in terms of, um, I think Hoot's become a scapegoat. And I think you're totally right in saying that there's, there was multiple phases in his own goal, um, well, prior to his own goal, which could have been prevented by one of his teammates. Just one of them own goals, like unavoidable own goals, um, when it came to him. But as you, as you said, you know, when they put the initial cross in, you know, it it wasn't exactly closed down um, as well as it should have been. You know, there, there was multiple facets leading up to the own goal. Loads of different events, which um, you know, if we acted differently, uh, the end result may have not been the same. I, I I also think it's a massive shame that who feels a need to um, close some of his social media accounts. At the same time, I don't exactly blame him either. Um, Southampton fans aren't alone in doing this. It's um, it's a social media led thing uh, with football. You know, before even before social media, you'd have fans in the ground. Um, you know, every every team has one player that the crowd will moan about. Um, I think that's totally inevitable. But now social media has given the voice to loads of people, and and sometimes the messages they send to players aren't um let's say that they're not exactly uh <laughs> uh not always appropriate i mean away from southampton you look at the abuse Loris uh Loris carrius got mm-hmm. uh for his performance at champions league final um you had liverpool fans um sending him and his kids death threats uh you know that, that's the world we live in at the minute so if i was a footballer i probably wouldn't even have set up any social media accounts to begin with. In terms of whether we are um, guilty of more individual errors this season than last, 
I think it's important to remember that we're only six games in uh, this season, which is also why I think we need we need to sort of be sensible and reserve the judgment on whether you know we're going to be embroiled in a relegation battle, um, you know, immediately. We our team had plenty of defensive errors at the back last season. I don't know what the cause of that is, whether it is because of a sort of drop in quality in defenders and midfielders, players getting older, players you know, feeling demotivated when results go against them, whether it's the change in manager. Um, there's loads of different factors. Um, this season we have a new centre-half pairing with Vestergaard and Hoot. Who didn't have the best season last season, um, and now he has a new defensive partner to you know work out with him now. And in addition to that, obviously Cedric on the right, he needs to work out how Vestergaard also plays. There's going to be times where Bertrand, as a left back, will also have to work out how Vestergaard plays in defence with them. The quality's definitely dropped. I mean, we went through. You know, from when Kuman took over, we had Toby Alderweireld, who I believe is one of the best def- centre-backs in the world. He can also play out wide in defence, and we also use him as a defensive midfielder at times. I think he's among the best in the world, um, and I have little doubts about that. Van Dijk has, since moving to Liverpool, has proven that he is the world-class player that we all thought he was when he was at Southampton. Mm-hmm. And, a lot of, and a lot of our fans... Couldn't believe we had a player of his quality at Southampton. You know, those are the two centre-halves we had prior to Hoot. And Hoot was the replacement, um, I think, in advance for Van Dijk's inevitable departure. Um, to compare Hoot to Van Dijk and our defence to a defence with Van Dijk or Alderweireld in it, again, I think it's unrealistic. We need to accept the fact that our squad's not as good as it was. But I think we also should expect our board to address those issues properly um, and accordingly. Uh, there, there aren't a dearth in, in world-class centre-backs in the world right now, but you know, we've already discovered, well, I say we discovered, we, we already bought Van Dijk on the cheap. Why can't our recruitment's not been the best of late, to put it that way, and um, it definitely needs improving if we're going to you know, try to strive for European qualification once again. Yeah, I think I've mentioned before that our, you know, I think other teams have caught our, have caught up to us in terms of our uh, our, our recruitment. You know, um, you you yeah, have that slight that. advantage. You have to take advantage of it when you have it. Uh, I think we did. I think we 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 don't get some of those players in uh, to a, a what people most people would say is a mid uh, to to lower league or lower level uh, Premier League club um, without without having some sort of, of slight advantage that I think we, we did well to do, uh, to, to bring in. So, um, now I think you, you are running into to things. There's, there's even more money in the game. There are, um, other opportunities. It's clear here that if you, if you come to Southampton, the, you know, people are going to be skeptical of, of whether or not you're staying for the, for long enough for the right reasons yeah. or whatever it is. And, and why would people do that? People are coming here to, you know, these careers are short. They're coming here to make money to, to play, to show people, to put themselves on the stage. And I, I think with, uh, you know, some of the players, I think, I think Bertrand in, in that sense in missing out on the world cup squad, I think that actually hurts us a little bit simply because all of a sudden now we're not being looked at as much, you know, we don't have, um, that, you know, we don't have an England international on the team. 
and that that sucks. That hurts. Uh, Danny Ings, close. Uh, or, and, I, and I won't discount Alex McCarthy, but um, you know we're on the fringes. We're not we're not in there as as being regulars and, and getting regular attention that way. And I think that could that could that could ultimately impact us uh, negatively. I think you're totally right. Um, there's the there's the whole talk of um, how money's made the league less competitive in terms of you know the top four, five, six teams are on their own sort of island and the rest of the league sort of now fighting for scraps. But what the money's done is made, you know, the, the other 14 teams on more of a level par, they, we're all now competing for the same players. Like, if a club is seen to be scouting a player from a different league, um, a different country or whatever, that news gets round to these clubs and everyone, everyone is looking at the same player. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Everyone's caught up to us. I think they've a lot of teams caught up to us in terms of um, both scouting and academy work as well. And um, yeah, it's going to be tougher for us to be smart. I think we outmaneuvered a lot of clubs sort of in the mid um, 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, I think a lot of other clubs similar size to us have now sort of caught on to what we were doing and are doing the same now. So. Perhaps it's up to us to to find um, a new route to take. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, last question. Uh, we have one from uh, Hassan Tariq, who's at Hassan Tariq ten, and also uh, Alan Gunn, who's at A underscore Gunzi, who you know quite well. Um, <laughs> they do. Hassan asked a bunch of questions, but uh, one of the things that they both asked is uh, basically, given as long as the board waited to sack Mauricio Pellegrino, uh, realistically, how long? Uh, how long does Mark Hughes have uh, to, to stay around? And I guess, is is this the appropriate time or is it still too early? Um, I think it is too early. Uh, I just think if, I mean, last season was an abomination from the start under Pellegrino. Um, if our season takes that course this year, like last, um, I'd want and fully expect the board to act a lot sooner than they did with Hughes and they did Pellegrino. Um, I think Hughes deserved to get the job after keeping us up. At the same time, um, the way our club is, I don't think there's any room for sentiment. If, um, you know, if things are looking pretty bleak, 15 games in rather than just six, I think that's definitely time to act. And maybe even slightly before that, but I think it's it's important to remember that we are only just six games into the season. Um, yes, we've dropped points against teams we should have got results against, and we were in commanding positions to do that. Um, but I'd still say we need to reserve judgment and you know just be a bit realistic. We we finished seventeenth last season. You know, I don't think anyone really expected a whole lot out of this season more to consolidate and maybe build for next year. Um, I'm not 100% sure Hughes is the man to do that, but I think we still need to give him time um, and just see how things shake out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... And, and, and to be clear, Mark Hughes is of no relation to me, so I'm not biased in any way. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't actually... Uh, I didn't assume. I won't I'll, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> If if there's ever somebody by the name of Mark Stone, uh, you can definitely, they are definitely related. There is a, they are okay. I'll remember that. It was a spelling mistake coming over from uh, 
uh, coming over from Norway. Uh, they made a mistake on this island. Yeah. Um, so there's only, uh, everybody my grandfather, uh, had relations with as he spread it around quite a bit, but we're all related. So, um, thanks. Thanks grandpa, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's tough to, to, you know, I almost don't want to go back into that mold, that mode of, of, of debating the manager and, and, and what right now I think, you know, one thing that I have to remind myself is that we've only been playing the back four now for six games. And, and granted we've had, we've kept basically the same partnership. We want that partnership to be there. Um, we went to a back three for a little bit yesterday. Um, but remember we all summer long, we were with a back three or a back five, uh, the down the stretch last year, we were back five and this year, uh, it's only been, uh, since, since kind of the beginning of the year that we've got, we've gone to this, this, this back four with Vestergaard and Hooten, they need time. Um, and, and they definitely have faults in their game. Uh, I'm not sure their their skill sets necessarily overlap enough to kind of cover those uh, from time to time. But uh, I think you know with time they should they should get better. And if they don't, then then I think we we take some action. But um, and whether that's at, at a personnel or or a, a systematic or a, a you know a managerial situation, I'm I'm not I'm not sure yet. Again, yeah, totally agree. Um, I, I, that's a really good point you raised in terms of. Not only is it a new um, pairing of centre halves, but we have changed our, our formation um, from five to four at the back, um, and that's yeah, it's going to take some getting used to in in multiple ways. Um, and yeah, the signs don't look too promising at the minute, but who's to say? Um, you know, we can we can turn that around. Uh, I think negativity breeds negativity. I think. If fans can stay off the team and the manager's back, you know, give a few games grace at the very least, um, we might see an upturn in fortunes. Like, despite the situation we were in towards the end of the season, and despite some horrible games like against Chelsea and Everton where we squandered leads to either draw or lose, which looked really detrimental to our survival chances, the atmosphere in in the stadiums were largely positive. Um, and I think the fans were quite important in, in sort of, you know, getting the important win at Swansea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of fans want, wanted Hughes to succeed. Whereas before everyone had grew so sick of seeing Pellegrino on the touchline. I think, uh, it sounds bad, but I, I definitely came away thinking, I remember when we drew against United, and I was a little bit frustrated because I knew that would buy Pellegrino more time as Southampton manager. Mm-hmm. And that's not a healthy mindset as a fan to have. You should be happy that you got a result. Um, so I hope our fans can stick behind the team and we'll see our fans rewarded for, you know, driving the team forward rather than, you know, getting on their backs and hounding them on social media. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um... Well, um, we've now been on the phone for over two and a half hours. Um, yeah. and I can say that I have enjoyed the, the first hour and a half, <laughs> uh, yeah. a, a lot more than, than talking about some of the things we've had to talk about. And it's, I enjoy talking about the team, uh, all the time, but sometimes it's, it's, you know, you don't want to get to the point where we're suddenly talking about, you know, how many times can we come up with, we've blown a late lead or we don't where the quality isn't good enough. It's, that's not 
you know, it, it, it is unfortunately is, is a function of what we have to do when we, when we write or when we do this stuff. But, um, you know, it'd be nice if there were a few kind of, uh, moments of, of brilliance in there that we could discuss as well. But, uh, uh, I just want to thank you for, for giving me the time to to do this. I've, I've, I've thoroughly thank enjoyed, you. enjoyed this and, uh, you're always welcome back. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've, uh, uh, it's been really good talking to you today. I, I loved being on the pod last time. Um, it, despite it feeling like Groundhog Day talking um, about the same issues, Southampton suffer. Um, I, ha- I have enjoyed talking about Southampton regardless of that. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem. The dog is obviously uh, starting to get irritated, but um, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll do this again later on in the season. We'll make sure we, we carve out some time to make sure we get you back. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to that time. Hopefully... We're well clear of the relegation zone um, in terms of position and points. That would be nice. And, um, yeah, who knows? We might even have a different manager by that time oh, if uh, our fans have anything to do with it. It's true. It's true. Um, so so just one more reminder before we let you go. Uh, you're at JJ Hughes underscore on Twitter. Uh, yes. You have MMA writing and, and football writing, obviously. And then for all the football stuff, it's at St. Mary's Musings. Uh, and the links to all those are in the show notes. Check them out if you haven't, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. So next time. Thank you very much. And that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed it. Special thanks goes out to last week's guest, Richard Walters. Thank you so much for uh, being willing to give away a copy of the book. To this week's guest, JJ Hughes, thank you for giving me so much of your time. Uh, the two and a half hours that we talked uh, were great. Um, <laughs> the hours that I spent editing that down, also great, uh, but more fun talking to you than, than just about anything else. To everyone who helped spread the word about the new book and the episode last week, thank you. I'm sorry we can only give away one copy, but Richard Brereton, I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, and next time we have an author on, we'll try to do the same thing. If you're interested in getting in touch with this show, you can do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on Twitter and Instagram, and we're at Facebook.com forward slash SFCDelivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. If you're looking to subscribe to the show so you don't miss future episodes, that's a really good idea. Kind of like closing down a cross or attacking the ball in a corner. Um, things you should do. If you don't do them, will I be disappointed? Yes. Will I talk about it next week? Probably yes. Do I get tired of complaining about it? Yes. Um, So fix it. Uh, You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcast. Simply search Delivery with two L's or type in Southampton uh, or go to the website sfcdelliverry.podbean.com and click any of the links to the the platform that you use. That, That works works really well if you like the show uh, please consider leaving a review on itunes it really does help uh, other people kind of get exposed to it and um, you know share it with a friend that helps uh, a lot as well all music for the show comes courtesy of the free music archive at freemusicarchive.org our partners the southampton page and the artwork that's done by matt bealing of the we are southampton page um, you guys are fantastic i could not do this without you thank you all music comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits that you're listening to now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. 
um, that will do it for this episode. We will be back next week for episode 90, uh, 90 straight weeks of podcasts. I apologize to everybody for that. Uh, but we'll be back next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And until then, remember that together, we march on.